and welcome to Wellbeing for Dog Groomers, the podcast. My name is Carla. I have been a dog groomer since 2014. Over time, be it before an exam, at the side of a competition ring or online, I have had many a quiet chat with fellow dog groomers who, like myself, struggle at times to balance life, work and maintaining a healthy well-being. My aim is to talk to both professional dog groomers and mental health professionals to help us understand what triggers stress and anxiety within our industry, why so many of us struggle with our mental health and what we can do to help ourselves. I also want to share stories and handy tips to make life in the salon easier. I am not a professional in mental health and I am not qualified or trained to give advice in this area. I am however interested in mental health and what effects our work can have on our well-being and finding ways to help. So, whether you are a brand new groomer or you have been at it for decades, whether you struggle with your mental health or work with a groomer who does, this podcast is for you. Hello and welcome to Wellbeing for Dog Groomers, the podcast. Today we are on episode 10. We've made it to the double figures and to celebrate, I'm really excited to say that we're going to be talking to Dr. Julie Osborne. I have listened to my CBT podcast for around six months now and I find Dr. Julie's talk so fascinating. So I was absolutely thrilled when she accepted my invitation to talk with us. I was really nervous in the hours running up to the interview, but she was such a pleasure to talk to. She made me feel really calm and I could have spoken to her for hours. Today, we are talking about shame, guilt, perfectionism, what CBT is and how it can help. So let's get straight to it. I really hope you enjoy the interview and take lots of her wisdom on board. Here we go. Hi, Dr. Julie, and welcome to Wellbeing for Dog Groomers, the podcast. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Brilliant. So to get us started, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and the CBT work that you do? Sure, sure. So um, I'm a licensed clinical social worker and I have my doctorate in psychology and I specialize in cognitive behavioral therapy. So I'm located in California and I've been doing cognitive behavioral therapy since 1997 uh, I was working at a school here at the University of California at Irvine, and I was fortunate enough to meet Dr. Dennis Greenberger, wow, who's yeah. a co-author of my uh, workbook that I use, or his workbook, I should say, uh, Mind Over Mood. And I got mm-hmm. training with him to do a CBT uh, group at the university, and I had to teach the psychiatry residents. They would sit in with me, and that's how, I mean, it just kind of fell into my lap, and I've been very blessed ever since then. So um, now I have yeah. a private practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, full-time and um, I've been doing that since 2000. Wow okay and I heard on your podcast you interviewed Dr. Greenberger. Yes so- that was that was my 100th episode and uh, that was an incredible that just for me it was kind of a full circle moment for me to interview him all those years later. <laughs> yeah no it was a really good episode. Thank you. Before we start asking you lots of questions um, yes. could you clear up some of the terminology Um, could you explain what a hot thought is and a core belief because I've heard these mentioned in various podcasts and it wasn't until you explained in one of your episodes I actually really understood what they meant. Okay of course yeah those are great questions. So a hot thought is a thought that's not 100% true. So what I teach my clients is we have two types of thoughts. Our thoughts are either facts, they're 100% true, or they're hot thoughts. And the hot thoughts are the thoughts that really fuel the negative moods that people are struggling with. And then once we can figure out what a hot thought is, those are the thoughts that we want to challenge to have more balanced thinking. And that helps decrease the negative moods like depression, anxiety, and everything that people okay. are you know struggling with. And then a core belief is 
something you believe at your core. And we have positive core beliefs and we have negative core beliefs. So obviously the positive ones we want to leave alone, but the mm -hmm. negative ones, um, they could be, um, you know, I'm not lovable. Um, I'm bound to be abandoned. Um, I'm incompetent. I'm a failure. So most people are not aware of their core beliefs yeah. because they're kind of like subconscious, but that they're very, uh, their every day is very affected by your core belief because I explain to people that your hot thoughts right? All of your thoughts that you have come from, stem from your core belief. Once you identify that core belief and you can change it, all that other stuff just kind of goes away. So, yeah. but it it's a process to get there and it takes a little longer to change than just, uh, you know, your everyday thoughts, because some people have had their core beliefs for, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Yeah. They can be um, really ingrained. Very ingrained. Yes. And, um, yeah. Your core beliefs can also be about yourself, about others or the world. Sure. Um, so I've listened to your podcast and I find your talks mm. really interesting. One of the episodes that really made me think was the one based around shame. Um, so could you explain a bit about how secrets and shame can affect someone as the years go on? Yes, yes, yes. So let's first define shame, right? So shame's a mood, right? Mm -hmm. And shame is that there's something wrong with me. Yeah. Right. So that goes kind of back to the core beliefs, right? That I'm not good enough. I'm incompetent. I'm going to fail. Right. Mm -hmm. Shame can be created, you know, something you put on yourself or something. I always say it's the lie someone told you about you. Right. So if someone says to you that you're not good yeah. enough or you're never going to succeed, they, you know, that's the, it's a lie that they told about you, but you take that on like something's wrong with me. And well, that's one mood interesting that a lot of people don't identify. There's a lot certain moods people identify all the time. Shame's not one of them. So we really want to walk through that with clients to get, you know, to all of the moods and identify if you're feeling ashamed and how that's affecting you. So how it can affect you throughout your life is your self-worth, your self-esteem, maybe not, you know, pursuing your dreams because you don't think that you're good enough and you can get there, right? Mm -hmm. Or all the negative, you know, um, information society gives us yeah. about going after your dreams, so it can affect you on many levels and you may not even know that it's playing a part. It can be quite overwhelming as well. I think shame's quite a hard one to shake off. I think probably because like you say, you don't always realize that that's, that's the problem. And, and I suppose working with someone like yourself is identifying where the shame's come from and how to work on, you know, look at yourself a bit more positively. And shame is a yes. big one, isn't it? It's a, a big one. Yeah. And, um, so if you think about the whole cognitive therapy theory is that your thoughts create your moods, yeah. right? So if you're feeling ashamed, it's not just like, oh, feel better or do something different. I got to find out, you know, what are you thinking about yourself that even makes you mm. feel ashamed? And can you explain the difference between shame and guilt and how are they both damaging on their own? And also, is it possible to have shame without guilt or guilt without shame? Yes. So first, uh, tell you what guilt. So guilt is that you've done something wrong. Okay. Right. Versus the shame. Is there something wrong with me? So yes, you can definitely have one without the other. I think many, many people identify having guilt, um, but it's not always actually the, the actual mood because it's just some things we just kind of habit say a lot, you know, and so, oh, I feel guilty. I feel guilty. So sometimes I'll ask yeah. my client, you know, well, what is it that you think you did wrong? And sometimes they can't even come mm -hmm. up with like, oh, I didn't actually do anything wrong, but I'm just, you know, people just are using that word a lot. So you want to ask yourself, you know, did I do something wrong? And if I did, then, you know, make decisions on how to handle that. Yeah. But that's the first place to start with guilt okay, versus, no, you know, the, again, the shame. 
yeah, is there something wrong with me? Um, so yeah, you can have them at the same time, and but you can have guilt, you know, all by itself. But most yeah. of us have lots of moods, Carla. Like we don't just have one mood. I tell people get stuck on moods. Oh, I'm depressed. Mm-hmm. I'm anxious. Not that they're not. But when I give, I have a whole mood list I give my clients. I mean, because okay. there's hundreds of moods. And they're like, oh, yeah, I feel insecure. I feel overwhelmed. I feel despair. And when you can really identify more of your moods, you can yeah. figure out your thoughts and then you can start making some change. No, that makes a lot of sense. And and with the, the guilt and the shame. So it seems more like guilt is more situational and shame's more personal. And yeah, I can see how they really differ. And that makes a lot of sense. Thank you very much. Yes. Um. And so in our industry of dog grooming, I think that many groomers would admit to feeling like they want to create the image of perfection. We all want to achieve the perfect grooms. We all want booming businesses. You know, we we want to manage our life outside of work and get top marks and exams. There's so many things that we really want to excel at. Um, Can you explain why aiming for perfection is actually quite a damaging goal? Many reasons, many reasons. Well, let me, if if I can... um talk about two types of perfectionism mm-hmm. um, to kind of understand it a little more. So perfectionism is where you're saying, you know, I need to be perfect. You're putting that on yourself. Yeah. And that usually it's because you're afraid to make a mistake. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that would be kind of a definition of perfectionism. Then there's what we also with CBT, we call perceived perfectionism. So perceived perfectionism, which I could see in your industry help happens a lot is mm-hmm. the groomer thinking everybody else expects me to be perfect as well. Okay. Yeah. You're perceiving that from other people. Yeah. So it's not, you know, sometimes it's like, we're trying to be perfect and someone's like, you're fine. Don't worry about it. It's all good. But the perceived is everybody else is expecting me and I can't fail. And if I do, I'm going to be judged. So I suppose both, both examples can be quite damaging, can't they? Because if you're putting pressure on yourself, you know, you're the only one monitoring the level that you're achieving or not achieving. And that, sometimes you can be quite biased towards yourself and quite hard on yourself can't you? of so course that that can be quite damaging at times but then also you know a lot of us we we sometimes go to grooming competitions and then after that mm. you've got all the pictures that flood facebook and you know people know that you're going for exams and you've got the pressure of coming back saying oh i passed or oh, not this time or so both both i suppose can really affect you quite quite heavily really can't they? yes 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 and why is perfectionism a problem is because yeah it's so subjective like what is perfectionism to you so most people that are perfectionists feel bad because they never actually get there yeah what a disappointing way to live because you're constantly reaching for a bar that is pretty much impossible to actually reach it's hard to pat yourself on the back when you're you know aiming so high right and so it takes away from the joy of what you do right instead of like you know this dog looks great or I did good in the competition even if I didn't come first place you know I always say you Mm -hmm. know progress not perfection that's right that we're saying we want to work towards, you know, always being our best and maybe doing better, right? Getting better at what your, you know, your skills and everything. But what I might think is perfect, you might see, you know, flaws in, yeah, right? And vice versa. If you're looking to just progress and be the best you can, you know, you may have some times where you think, oh, that was perfect for me. But if I'm always trying to get yeah. to that place, you know, I'm not going to feel that joy and I'm not going to be present, in what I'm doing yeah yeah. and so um could you talk about the link that you see between shame and perfectionism and how it can affect the way that you behave and the choices that you make in life um yeah I would say they're very connected right so perfectionism is actually like a behavior 
mm-hmm. right? Because you're trying. So with the with the cognitive behavioral therapy, just to go over quick, is you know your thoughts create your moods, which affects your behaviors, and then your physical reactions. So that's like you know muscle tension and sleep issues and all that stuff. So perfectionism is a behavior based on the mood, which would be shame, right? Okay. So am I really identifying shame because that's kind of painful, uncomfortable? So I'll just be perfect. Right, if I'm perfect, it's like a mask, like a cover-up sort of thing. Yes, yes. Then I don't have to deal with feeling ashamed because I think I'm doing perfect, right? So if I may, you know, going back when I was talking about core beliefs, right, mm-hmm. is that a core belief could be, you know, I have to be perfect, right? So what we do is we create what we call behavioral strategies. And the behavioral strategy, right, is if I'm perfect, then I don't have to deal with me feeling imperfect and feeling ashamed. And so that could work for a while, that strategy, I'm doing good, I'm successful, things are going well. And then when Mm -hmm. something happens and and you're not perfect for that day, you go right back to that imperfect core belief and you kind of have a meltdown and things aren't going well and it's hard to kind of pull yourself out. So if, so if, if you can make that connection um, and you're not going to make good solid choices in your life, if that's how you're living your life, because the other mood that's behind that is fear, Yeah, right? Yeah. Fear that people mm-hmm. are going to, you know, see that I have flaws, that I'm imperfect. So it's not coming from a good place and yeah. you're always striving for something. Um, and again, instead of just kind of enjoying, you know, the journey that you're on and really having some grace for yourself. Yeah, no, that does. That makes a lot of sense because the thing is as well is when you're trying to achieve something sort of obviously better than the last time you did it, there's always that sort of sort of nagging fear in the background. You think, oh, you know, what what if I do that? Or, you know, mm-hmm. what if so-and-so sees that because they told me to do it and then I've obviously not done it how they've said to do it. And it all sort of spirals in your head, doesn't it? All the, all the worries that, um, you know, of external sort of verification and external judging, depending on who, you know, who's who we're talking about. Uh, there's a lot of shame and fear involved in that perfection, definitely. I can yeah. totally, totally see that. And I just want to say what you, what you were just sharing, all of those hot thoughts. Hmm. You know, I should do it because they said so. They're not going to be happy. What if I do it too short? You know, we have 80 or 90,000 thoughts per day. Amazing. All of us. (laughs) So many. (laughs) So yes, too many, right? So our brain never stops. So, and we're only probably aware of maybe, you know, 50 of them at a time if we're even lucky. So there's so much unconscious going on, you know, that we're just reacting, reacting to. Right. And, and in your profession, I'm guessing, you know, mm-hmm. people are comparing each other. That looks great versus, oh, mine looks better. Yours looks better. Right. Yeah. And then that feeds that shame right there. And the perfectionism instead of, you know, that I'm really happy. I think my dog looks great and your dog looks great, too. And I think on the whole, we are we do try to be really supportive to each other. We all go in with a fresh head. But it's I think, well, I know me personally, I find it easier to judge myself than judge other people. You come off and you think, oh, you know, I just did two hours on the table and I've worked my absolute hardest. And, you know, I thought that bit was going really well. And then you stand back and you see all oh, that bit, you know, I really worked on that great, but the other bit, oh, well, how did I miss that? You know, and even in a salon, when you're talking to customers, you could just be practicing your trims in the salon and, um, you know, you're concentrating on improving. And then a customer comes in and says, oh, I like it better when you do that bit like that. And it's the same again. It's like, oh, I really wanted to, you know, impress you. I worked so hard. And then that little bit that I didn't see, you know, it's, yeah, definitely. I can definitely see. Yeah. See how another thing I just thought of. Linked. Yes. another thought I just thought of with your profession too, right, is everyone's going to have a different opinion of what they like about their dog, 
right? Yeah. Everybody's not going to like the same cut. Like yeah. I think, I mean, you know better than me, but I think of like poodles, right? Sometimes yeah. they cut them where there's a uh, little poofiness Sorry. around like the, you know, their legs and stuff. And then some, you know, have the full hair. And I mean, one yeah. dog can look so different, right? It's- it, there's so many variations. And yeah. one thing we really struggle with in the industry is when a customer comes in and says, oh, I'd like it short, but not too short. And you think, what? Uh, what does come that mean? On. Yeah, I'm going to need some more help than that. <laughs> exactly. So you're needing to please your customer, mm-hmm. right? And just be focused on that. Yeah. Versus what everybody else thinks or what the next customer might like. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. It's really trying to personalize things and tailor it to that customer and get as much information as you can out of them before they leave. Um, Exactly. So could you explain why occasionally exposing your flaws amongst people that you trust makes you more relatable and can encourage actually stronger relationships? Oh, yeah. And that's a very true statement. Um, Well, first of all, all, we're all flawed. That's just you know, we're human, you know, we're humans, it's human nature to make mistakes. We're just flawed. I mean, nobody is perfect, right? So when we share those flaws, whatever that looks like, right, that maybe Mm -hmm. you didn't pass your test or customer wasn't happy with you, right, something like that, maybe would be an example. Mm -hmm. It makes you more authentic, right? And then it's like, oh, she's like me, right? And she's not judging herself, So I can be more real with her and you feel a connection because when you're on the surface and you're like, oh, everything's wonderful. Everything's wonderful. What's there to get close to? You're not sharing anything about yourself when you're just putting out this persona that everything's great. Right. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. And I suppose if we're all walking around with these big like walls up and just showing you know the best of our lives then everyone it's just going to increase the cycle of everyone else feeling more negative about themselves or more worried about sharing things I suppose the more we all do it the worse it all gets really yeah feeling isolated I think also is a big one yeah no that that is a very good point yeah that is yeah sometimes I think how it can feel and we're yeah. trying to come out of that after COVID. We all felt so isolated that, you know, and we, the, one of the big issues is we weren't able to connect like we normally do, mm-hmm. right? And connecting and being authentic and showing our flaws, right? Yeah. And so we really need to get comfortable and really push for that now, now that we're able to be out and connect with each other. And, and I think when you're authentic, you know, that's when you can learn from others. Yeah. And so I think, like you say, in COVID, when we all maybe were a little bit more vulnerable, um, the community spirit, I don't know, like I know certainly now where I live and I saw it a lot on the news, the community spirit was so much better than usual. I mean, you actually spoke to your neighbours when you was in your front gardens and do you want me to pick you up some shopping and put it on your front doorstep for you yes. to the people who perhaps were more vulnerable or couldn't couldn't be quite so mobile? Yeah. So, yeah, no, I totally see that. If you, if you, if you do expose these things and say, well, I need a bit of help or... Could you give me some advice on that? It yeah, it does make you more human. That's really interesting. Um, and aren't our most intimate relationships are good because we're vulnerable. Yeah. And we still feel loved, right? So so exposing yourself, which is what we call, you know, exposure therapy, where you put yourself in uncomfortable situations, right? So if you're if you say, you know, there's someone I can trust, so I'm gonna be vulnerable, and you mm-hmm. share something and you get the good feedback and support, you know, yeah. that just supports that I can be myself. Yeah. And no. people are still gonna like me. And we can see each other's flaws, but not judge each other. Yeah, it's kind of like, I, I don't know, I've been to the garden centre today and I always think of ways to correlate things to physical things. But say like with the climbing roses, like if they didn't have them supports there, they'd just fall over and break. Whereas with a little bit of support, they just they just blossom, don't they? I Beautiful. Suppose. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 
No, I, th I think that's really, really um, interesting. And I think it's something that people should definitely bear in mind. Um, so how do you feel that social media affects us around the topics of shame and perfectionism? Terribly. <laughs> yeah. Is it something you encounter a lot in your job? Yes. I, yeah. I have people that literally go off social media because, you know, if they're, say they're looking, you know, for a partner and they want to get married. Mm -hmm. Right. And they're like, everybody's married. Everybody's happy. Yeah. Everybody's because and I'm like, well, that's because everybody's just putting their best pictures like you have no idea what they're going through. So people compare. Yeah. Right. Going back to, oh, they're perfect. Their life's perfect. Mine isn't. And people get more depressed. Right. You yeah. Know, and I guess they uh, feel more shame. Like, why hasn't that happened to me yet? There must be something yeah. wrong with me. Exactly. It leads you down Ex the path, doesn't it? Exactly. Yeah. And then the other message to be perfect comes on social media. Right. Especially if you mm -hmm. follow famous people who have people that dress them, do their makeup and hair every day. People just look and say, oh, they're, look how great they are. Oh, look at their figures. Oh, I don't look like that. I'm not good enough. I'm not going to be attractive. The world's not going to like this. Like, you know, it's, you're just inundated. And it's so, you know, small in some doses that you just don't get it. But it's like, you know, people are spending hours on this. Right. And and yeah. they're just comparing, comparing, comparing. And that's just, yeah. you know, the death of you is, is comparing. And, and I tell people, you know, you're going to be judged and you're going to judge people. And that's just the way what makes the world go around. So we have yeah. to accept it. But but our circle of trust is needs to be people that I can't be authentic and show my flaws and don't expect me to be perfect. And, you know, let me say this. I don't even want to be have friends that are perfect. That'd be yeah. stressful. Yeah, right. I want authentic people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So interesting that way. Yeah. When so I, I share my personal stories. I'd say yeah. with during during my podcast, those are mm -hmm. the ones people love because people yeah. assume I just got it together because I'm a therapist and everything. But so when yeah. I share my own struggles, mm -hmm. I'm being more authentic, right? And that, and people are like, "Oh, I love that podcast. Oh, that was so helpful." Because they're not yeah. comparing either. Yeah, I found a couple of your podcasts really helpful. Um, I mean, there was um, one where I know when you spoke about when you was poorly, um, I actually have a family member who was quite poorly at the same time. And it just made me think about the ways to, to sort of talk about things, questions to ask. And it, some of your like experiences from when you was a child, I had the same sorts of experiences. Mm. And it the way that you speak is so down to earth, really. You just sort of say things how they are. And then get into the nitty-gritty of the thoughts and like you say the, the thought patterns and, and it's amazing how you can listen to a podcast and connect someone's life to your life I've never done CB, CBT before I've, I've done a bit of counseling before and there is like kind of I can see the crossover but it's kind of different at the same time and but um really listening to your podcast has actually introduced it to me and I really like the idea of changing your thoughts and most people want to deal with what's going on now yeah. I mean past things always come up but people mm -hmm. are like, I'm not feeling good now. I'm struggling right now. I need some help about right now. Yeah. Right. And people are getting more educated in the world about therapy. Mm -hmm. So they don't want to go in and just have support and have someone like they want to walk out and have tools. Right. Yes. So like for your profession, right. Like using CBT, like right then and there, if I'm struggling as I'm working on, you know, a client, you mm -hmm. know, to be able to identify my thoughts and, you know, be able to challenge those and just relax and enjoy and get more centered. Yeah. I, I find it very, very interesting. Um, so if someone is struggling with something that they are ashamed of or have guilt over um, and they realize they maybe have an unhealthy relationship with perfectionism, how would you tackle that in your CBT sessions sort of one-to-one? Um, well, I can, sh I can share with you actually a specific tool that you guys okay. can get started, you know, people who get started with. So yeah. it's a cognitive wow. behavioral therapy tool. 
It's called uh, cost benefit analysis, we call it. And okay. I have one on perfectionism that I like mm -hmm. I could share with you. That's all yeah, right. That's that. That'd be brilliant. Okay. So what you're going to do, you just take a piece of paper, put a line down the middle. On one side, you put advantages. Mm -hmm. um, what's positive and awesome about striving to be perfect. And then the other side is disadvantages. So you'll put what's not so great about striving to be perfect. So I won't read all of it, but, um, and I do have a podcast on perfectionism. So I think I go yeah. through the whole thing if people yeah. want to listen, but um, like, here's an advantage, right? It motivates me to accomplish things I'm proud of and that are rewarding, right? So the yeah. point is, it's not like, oh, don't feel that way. Get rid of that. Like, what are the advantages that why you're mm -hmm. holding on to this, right? Okay. But also a disadvantage you know, is that I'm thinking, you know, there's always someone better and that I compare myself to, which makes me feel worse. Right. Okay. Another disadvantage is that it's exhausting. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, it also reinforces this dangerous idea that one must be special to be mm -hmm. loved, to uh, people to want your service. Right. Yeah. That you got to you got to be special and stand out versus just being good enough. Yes. Right. Um advantages you're thinking that you are special and you'll be loved if you if you do things perfectly so that oh that feels good that's an advantage so I'm going to hold on but then you have to understand that other side where I just said that what's the other side is like oh if I'm not perfect then I won't be loved it's very fair, very yeah. black and white thinking mm -hmm. right that's a fine so line. when 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 you go through the cost benefit analysis of perfectionism you know you're going to have things on both sides because there are some advantages right mm -hmm. but the disadvantages will definitely if you get enough down for yourself will outweigh the advantages. Yeah. And so it's just starting to see that that's where we want to get to that progress, not perfection. Like I want people to do their best and to yeah, strive, right? Yeah. That's wonderful, but enjoy again, the process. And it's not about always being perfect and understanding how that's actually affecting you. Cause I think people can kind of lie to themselves and saying, Oh, it's a good thing. It's a good yeah. thing. I want to be perfect. Yeah. And it really isn't because it comes out in other ways of stress. Yeah, it's easy to say that, but I think the cracks are always going to show in the end, aren't they? Yes. One other exercise I think could be helpful is, is look back at the evidence of when mm -hmm. you're, you know, working on a dog and your trim, like didn't come out perfect in your yeah. eyes. And mm -hmm. somebody was like, oh my God, I love it. My dog looks great. And you're yeah, like, yeah, and okay. it's amazing how often that happens where you think, oh, this has been a really stressful one. I wish that, um, you know, that finish would look better or that tail shape was a bit better or, you know, that dog really didn't want to sit still while I was doing its face and it's not that tidy. And you're sort of thinking, oh, the owner's going to come back and think, oh, what have you done? What have you done? Da, 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 da. And then they're like, oh, it looks lovely. I love it when right. my face is shaggy like that. And you think, oh, oh, all that worry for nothing. Um, yes. So yeah. I would literally, like, if you had a notebook, I would yeah. write down those, like just a bullet point, you know, write down those experiences, mm -hmm. right? Where you were unhappy and the customer was thrilled Yeah, because you need evidence yeah. that, you know what, I am doing a good job and people do like my work, even when I know, or I don't think that it's perfect. Yeah. And that in the hard times, you can look back at that little notebook and actually perk yourself back up again that that's that's actually a really nice little tip there I think I'll yeah. start doing that definitely and I would suggest reading it every like when you start your day not even when it's the hard times to change a core belief you mm -hmm. need to be going over that information on a daily basis because you're literally retraining your brain right okay. so if you wake yeah. up every morning before you go to bed and you just kind of read over the successes you know people were, and you especially the ones when you were questioning yourself you know you'll start you'll start thinking and believing about yourself differently. 
I, I again, sorry to refer back to counselling because I know it's different, but sometimes after a counselling session, it takes like quite a few days after to for your brain to keep having that loop sort of train of thought going to start sort of like getting it to sink in. So I suppose if you read, like you say, these notes that you're making every morning, you'll keep injecting them thoughts to keep that that loop of a positive spiral going rather than, you know, the negative ones intruding. You kind of, I guess, you're kind of trying to push them out. Is that kind of how it works? Kind of, yeah. And if you think about why do I have the negative ones? Because it's been over and over and over. Right. Okay. Right. For maybe years. So your mm-hmm. brain is really trained to just go there. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I tell everybody, like, our brain believes what we tell it. Right. So if you say like, oh, that wasn't very good. Your brain's like, yeah, was it? Your brain doesn't say, oh, no, the dog looks wonderful. Like, you got to really be mindful what you say to yourself. Yeah. Right. So it does take time to like retrain your brain. But I can yeah. tell you the cognitive therapy is the most researched and most successful therapy for people. And they actually have done um, pictures of people's uh, PET scans, pictures of your brain. Okay. And after 10 weeks, they yeah. took new pictures of people that had the CBT and there literally was a change in their brain chemistry for the better. Wow. And it's the only therapy out there that like has really concrete evidence that when we think differently on a regular basis, mm-hmm. it does affect our brain chemistry. Yeah, it's amazing that you can see it as well. That's that's crazy. I didn't even know that. Yeah, every time they've replicated the study, they've had the same outcome. And um, years and years, I mean, decades ago, they did that the first time. So, you know, even though I've been doing this forever and I believe in it 100%, mm-hmm. I still get, mm-hmm. I still feel joy and I still get so happy when I see how quickly it, it changes people's lives. It's really, you know, it's amazing stuff. Yeah, you know, it's, the way it's I, absolutely fascinating. It really yeah. does interest me. So for someone such as myself, who has never been to a CBT session before, could you um, explain a typical run through of what would happen on your first session of CBT? What would someone expect? Um, so first session, I would say, obviously, I'm getting your history, mm-hmm. right? And we're going to set like, what are your goals? What do you want to accomplish in therapy, right? Because this is your time. It's your agenda, not mine. Right. Mm-hmm. So we kind of we go through the history and find out about the person. And then I get started and I educate them on what is cognitive behavioral therapy. Okay. Right. And explaining that, you know, your thoughts create your moods, which affect your behavior and your physical action. And then the other biggie, which pertains to your you know um, situation, is your environment. So your environment you're talking about is like work. Yeah. Right. So how's my work environment? Is it good? Is it not good? Is Can I make changes? Sometimes people need to leave work environments because they're so stressful. So that's a big factor too, to look at your environment. So I educate them on what cognitive therapy is. And then I use an exercise in the mind over mood workbook that I use that makes it personal to them. So they write down, you know, what is their environmental and life situations? And they Mm -hmm. write, you know, we figure out what are your physical symptoms? What are your moods? What are your behaviors when you're stressed out and, um, you know, feeling the moods you're feeling? And then what are your thoughts? So that's just a beginning to personalize it to them. And that would be like a first session. And then I would give them what their homework would be for the week because good CBT is always homework because we want people to get better quicker. Yeah. And if you're working on it every day, I mean, I say, you know, your thoughts, your negative thoughts affect you on a daily basis. So we need to be working on it on a daily basis. And then they have homework in between us meeting and that we keep working and learning the tools for them to get better. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds really good. So could you tell us a little bit about your podcast, where we can find it and sort of why you started it? Yes. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, well, you can find me on any um, platform. So um, I most of my listeners on Spotify, but obviously yeah. Apple and 
I don't even know all the names to be honest, but yeah. I know there's yeah. tons of platforms out there. So um, yeah. it's called My CBT Podcast. So mm-hmm. if you just Google that, it'll come up. Um, and I've been doing it since March of 2020. It just so happened it started the month of the pandemic. I started doing it in January, and by the time I was ready, it just worked out that it was in March. And that's <laughs> but, perfect timing. It's got it's yes. got to be the best timing ever for that sort of yes, podcast, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I kind of wish I found it in lockdown actually. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and um, why did I start it? You know, I really started because, like I said, I really believe in CBT. And I think if everybody in the world had the tools, our whole world would be a better place because most of us are reacting off our moods. Yeah. Right. And we don't make good decisions when we do that instead of saying, OK, why am I feeling this way? What am I thinking? So it was just, you know, it's like just being of service. I wanted to give back. I've been very blessed with my practice and yeah. wonderful clients. And I'm just yeah. fortunate. I just love what I do. And well, I thought I just want like to give back. It sounds like you've worked really hard for that. It sounds actually like not so much luck, but just actually a lot of interest and passion and hard work. It's, yes. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, I do. I love it, love it, love it. And um, so I just wanted to give back on some level. Mm-hmm. And so I just, um, you know, found someone to help me get started with it because I didn't know anything about, you know, podcasts or what happens. And I was pretty naive. I'm like, oh, I'm in the United States, you know, like I'll put it out there. I have heard from people all over the world, very yeah. humbling. I have a lot of listeners in the UK, actually. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm calling you and it's five o'clock here and it's nine, nine-ish in the morning where you are. And it's amazing um, the the world of podcast and how easy it is to reach people at, at such a far distance. And it's so such, easy. Yes. Yes. So it's been um, just incredible and um, it keeps building. Yeah, it's been really, really wonderful. So that's why I did start. I just wanted to give back and get the word out. And it's been way more than I ever, you know, expected. I'm still, you know, trying to keep growing. And um, so I appreciate, you know, you even having me on that your listeners can maybe learn the tools and it can help them. It's absolute pleasure to have you. And thank you for starting the podcast as well. I bet it's done a lot of people a lot of good. So do you do sessions over the internet as well? Um, And if so, um, how can people sort of get in touch with you about that? Yeah, so I do, um, well, two days a week I go into an office still and I do, you know, in person, but most of my other three days I'm doing telehealth. Mm -hmm. Um, So with telehealth, it's restrictive only because I have to be licensed in the states you live in. Um, so like on my side, um, over here, I'm licensed in California, Washington state, uh, Colorado and South Carolina and California, obviously, but there's cognitive behavioral therapists all over the world, uh, especially with a group that I'm connected with. So I'm always here for questions and referrals. If people want to reach out, um, I get a lot of emails. I answer all my emails and I get feedback. So I was you know, actually really surprised when I emailed you about the podcast that you even wrote back. I was like, oh, oh, oh. she actually wants to come on <laughs> Thank you. And um, so I'm, you know, open for people reaching out. I love people. You know, I always share people's emails on my podcast. I get their permission, yeah. but, you know, those have been helpful. And if someone's looking for a cognitive behavioral therapist, what you can look up is uh, feelinggoodinstitute.com. Okay. That's really so helpful. That's, I'll put that in the show notes as well. And if you go on there, it'll just, uh, it'll say like zip code or, you know, location. All you put in is that. So nobody mm-hmm. can contact you. And then who's ever in your, uh, you know, local area, their names will come up and they're all trained as cognitive behavioral therapists. Brilliant. Yeah. So, so, so that's you the want be- someone fully trained who you can trust and rely on to be where they need to be to help you. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, but I'm open, like I said, if any of your listeners want to reach out or have a question, you know, I'm more than happy 
um, you know, to answer those and, and to give That's some right. feedback. And I know you take suggestions for topics on your podcast as well. I've heard you sort of reach out a few times if people sort of want, want to send you any ideas. So, Oh, please. Yeah. No, yes. Brilliant. That's yes. great. Um, and is there anything that you wanted to add to today's chat um, that you think that I've missed or, and I was also thinking actually as well, what, what sorts of problems can people get help with for CBT? Because I know we've covered a lot to do with our jobs and dog grooming, but like maybe a little bit about what other sub subjects you can help with. Yeah, I, um, to be honest, I don't want to uh, sound like it's a general therapy because it's not, but mm -hmm. anything you're going through, I, cognitive behavioral therapy tools can help because when even when you hear other people talk about different therapies and they break it down, break it down, it goes back to your thoughts. Yeah. Right. It's all about our thoughts. Just, you know, again, it's what creates our moods. We don't have moods for the heck of it. We just don't. Right. No. There's always some connection. So uh, lots of my clients are, you know, depression, anxiety, you know, many different types of anxiety, OCD, mm -hmm. panic disorder, you know, social phobias, um, people with, you know, bipolar. I've worked with some people that are uh, like high functioning schizophrenia. It's even helped with. Okay. Yeah. When they've been able to really identify like, you know, and, and own like, you know, the diagnosis and work on that, um, life transitions, relationships. So, um, grief, you yeah. know, trauma. That's a big so, one, isn't it? Yeah. Big, yeah, big topics. Big, yes. Cause loss is, is many different things. It's not just the death of somebody. It's, it's the loss yeah. of anything. Right. So if you go through my uh, podcast, you'll see, cause I have over a hundred now, there's so many topics that yeah. I talk about. And when you really understand CBT, you'll understand how, it really um, affects everything in our lives. And, and having tools is so great because I didn't have tools as a kid, right? I was like most people, I was just reacting off my moods and that's when I didn't mm -hmm. make good decisions because you want to remember your moods are changing all the time, right? So you're going to be yeah. reacting all the time. And then you're like, Ooh, you know, I wish I didn't think that way. And I say, well, you weren't thinking you were just feeling. So you went from, you know, mood to behavior. Mm -hmm. And I think why most people in the world don't really change is they find a behavior that works for them. Yeah. Right. So like anxiety, right? The number one of behavior is avoidance. Well, that works. I just don't have to go there. Yeah. I just don't have to go do that. I feel fine. Yeah. And one of your sayings that I know you always say is that act on, you know, don't act on your mood, act on what's good for you. Or I've probably got it the wrong my way around. Mantras, yeah. My mantra is make decisions based on what's best for you, not how you feel. I've had some people that weren't leaving the house and they at least got up and went out and walked to the corner and back home. Because when you make decisions based on how you feel, you're, you're not going to make good decisions. But when you say what's best for me, you know, and people know, I don't ever tell anyone what's best for them. People know in their heart, it's best that I get yeah. up and even just go brush my hair, get dressed, get out of my pajamas, right? Or, you know, yeah. go take a walk or it doesn't have to be a big thing. It could just be taking a small step. Yeah, and that really does apply to things that are, you know, little things like you say, like just getting getting up the corner of the road, which to some people is massive, just walking to the corner of the road. But I suppose you can you can apply it to so many situations in life, no matter how big or small they are. Because I mean, for say someone who maybe has an addiction or something, they may feel like you know reaching for the bottle or reaching for a cigarette. But when you take it back to what's good for you, doing what's best for you. Everyone knows what the right decision is, you know, mm -hmm. and it, it applies to so many areas of life, whether it's staying with someone that's not good for you. There, there's so, so many. Yes, because why so are you topics. staying? Yeah. Why are you staying? Right. And now people say, oh, because I love him. I say, why do you love him? I've literally had people sit there and, and they couldn't even come up with an answer. It's just something we say. So we think we should do it. Right. Yeah. So having a therapist 
whose cognitive behavioral therapist can really stop and say, let's slow down. Let's really figure out what your thoughts, your beliefs are that's keeping you stuck here, right? Yeah. Or what are your fears? So one thing that your listeners can take today, the, one mm-hmm. of the first things I teach people is whenever you have a negative mood, even if it's a little thing, right? Someone's driving too slow in front of you or whatever. Just ask yourself, what am I thinking, right? Instead of just feeling and reacting, you want to yeah. get into that habit. And when you, when you get good at it, you're always like, I still have negative feelings, right? Because I'm a human being, but I'm in my thoughts way quicker, right? Yeah, and yeah. then I'm like, okay, slow down. Let's not react. What's really, what am I thinking? That's that's a half thought. You know, how do I want to handle this differently? Yeah. And I, I actually found one of your episodes. You was talking about anxiety with, um, is it a, a Victoria about the neuroplasticity? Dr. Victoria Smith. Yeah. That was such an interesting interview about take that. And I remember you said about taking time to stop your one part of your brain getting carried away and really just give yourself a bit of time for the logic to come in. And from what you've been talking about today, it seems a lot like you're helping your clients sort of find the logic in their thoughts rather than just getting carried away with what they feel it's really breaking it down and like you say it's like putting a jigsaw together it's it's you've got all these crazy things flying about and you're looking at all these different pieces but you're the person who helps them put them together make sense of them and and really analyze how you think rather than just getting carried away with these hot thoughts that you've got going on exactly so, yeah 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 and that podcast you're talking about is called the neuropsychology neuropsychology and cbt That's and it. um and so it's interesting for people just to understand what's actually going on in your brain when you're feeling that anxious, right? And anxiety yeah. um, is such a physical reaction that people just want to stop it as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. And that's why they don't take the time to figure it out. They just go like you grab, grab a cigarette, go get a beer, you know, whatever it is, right, that mm-hmm. they do like, oh, I feel better. So then they go back to that same behavior next time they feel anxious. So it's taking, you know, it's, it's having the courage. It takes a lot of courage. It's, you know, it's a lot of strength to come to therapy, mm-hmm. but if you're say if you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, you know, that's when people will make change and yeah. be willing to do the work. And then you have it the rest of your life, you know, and yeah. CBT is also considered a short-term therapy. So, you know, I just want listeners to know it's nothing, you know, it's not forever unless you want to keep going. That's your choice. But the point is to come in, learn tools, get better, and then you can move on. What, what more do you want that's yeah. the perfect goal isn't it really and even yes. if you're checking in like you say checking in with yourself when you're feeling good at least you have those um at least you have the methods to use you've got something yes. you know you can refer back to your notes or refer back to I know you talk about the mind over mood but it's in a, over a hundred different languages now I know well, so interesting to, when you keep recommending it I thought I need to get this book okay so um, it turns out like literally yesterday um oh and, wonderful well the, well the workbook will teach you so I do have a podcast on um how to use mind over mood I think it's called mm-hmm. so I walk so I, I explain how to even use the workbook because you mm-hmm. want to the first part can educate you on what it is and then you can jump around based on what your needs are okay. so you want to use it to learn the tools so then when you do feel down you have the tools yeah that makes yeah. sense great yeah. okay so I think I think that's everything and way more that I was planning on asking you today you've okay. just given us so much knowledge um so thank you so much for coming on and talking with us today um I really appreciate it it's been an absolute oh you're pleasure. welcome I well you're welcome and thanks for having me and um can I share just where to find me of course. Yeah. And I'll put it all in the show notes as well. But yeah, you go ahead. and. Okay, so yeah, so looking at my podcast, my CBT podcast, uh, my Gmail is my CBT podcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and my website is my cognitive behavioral therapy.com. 
Instagram's my CBT podcast. And then my Facebook is under Dr. Julie Osborne and lots of information on, um, on all the platforms that people can learn and read. And um, like I said, it's all free and there's way, you know, they can reach out to me and if they have any questions and, you know, I'd be happy to be there for them. That's absolutely brilliant. Thank you. Yeah, that's great. And um, yeah, I highly recommend people go over and have a listen to your podcast because uh, it's very, very enlightening. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I, I, I you know, commend you that you have found your niche and what you do and was mm-hmm. I've been able to say like, you know, I'm going to do a podcast because it's a specialty that most people don't even think about. Right. Mm-hmm. When you reached out to me, I was like, oh, that's interesting because I have a dog. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, I'm here you go. Take care of them. And yeah. I never even really thought about the person on the other side. <laughs> it's so easy to right? do. Like, yeah. Any, I mean, if it's not your own industry, knowing the ins and outs and the nitty gritty is it's almost impossible. But yeah, there's, there's quite a lot of pressure that goes into being a career. Yeah, no, once you explain yeah. it to me, I'm like, that all makes sense. That all makes sense. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you very much. And um, I shall listen in soon. Okay. Thank you. I cannot express how much I enjoyed speaking with Dr. Julie today. I would recommend her podcast to anyone. She's so relatable and it feels like she's speaking straight to you. The episode we mentioned with Dr. Victoria Smith called How CBT and Neuropsychology Work Together, I would recommend particularly to anyone who, like me, does struggle with anxiety, as they really go into how the different types of anxiety work and the brain science behind what's going on. I wanted to tailor today's talks to our jobs and the worries we may have in different situations. But imagine how CBT can help with other things in our life. Like I've said before, I think a lot of the time it's not just work that stresses us out. We all have our own stuff going on outside work too. Combine that with a stressful job and it can easily get too much. Dr Julie's podcast covers literally over 100 topics. Just to mention a few more. Depression, anxiety, divorce, illness, fear, bipolar, ADHD, denial and manipulation. The list goes on. Some of her sayings from this interview that I really liked were progress, not perfection. Your thoughts create your moods. Your brain believes what you tell it. And make decisions based on what's best for you, not how you feel. So thank you again, Dr Julie Osborne. Next week, I will be talking to Kelly Davis. We will be talking about how competing at the weekend can help your grooming back in the salon. So I'll be back next week. In the meantime, make sure you follow us on whichever platform you get your podcasts and join the Facebook page, Wellbeing for Dog Groomers, the podcast. I hope you have a lovely weekend. Cheerio!